Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. I'm JJ Cooper, joined today by Jim Callis, and I should say the uh, the uh, the slightly gimpy Jim Callis. Jim had to miss out on his normal weekly uh, pod, uh, chat at, on this afternoon. And Jim, explain uh, why you're just barely avoiding the DL, if you would. Yeah, one of the perils of working from home is that. Uh, yeah, I was trying to multitask and do a couple things around the house before the the chat began, and I was uh, literally racing back into the uh, back into my office to to sign into the the BA chat room and slammed my finger in a door, which would have been okay except I, I slammed it and I must have had my finger right on the uh, door jam, you know, where the the metal plate is. <laughs> And so it, the door, you know, basically drove my finger into that, and then the short version is I, I required four stitches. So I, I immediately looked at it and realized that a Band-Aid was not going to suffice. <laughs> That's always a tough call. Like, okay, is this enough for stitches? And uh, I've probably done a couple times in the past where I probably should have, and I'm like, nah, I can I can figure out a way. But but four stitches, you definitely made the right call then. But yeah, it was definitely wide open, and we had my my youngest daughter cut her foot on a uh on the on the corner of a vanity on easter sunday so like we didn't really want to go to the emergency room and we talked to the pediatrician over the food we stopped the bleeding on that one real quick and then it turned out the cut got infected and we should have had it stitched so i was i was erring on the side of caution uh but it, it was like i said i <laughs> the way it worked was i i slammed it it hurt um, and then I looked, and there was blood, so I, I called to my, my 13-year-old daughter's upstairs. I said, Beth, go get me a Band-Aid. And before she cut out the Band-Aid, I quickly realized, as I was bleeding profusely all over my sink, that uh, the, the Band-Aid was not going to work. So, well, But uh, I, I am, I'm on the mend, uh, and uh, I, I can type and apparently write okay, so I think I will, I think I will be fine. Well, we're, we're glad you're back. We, you know, I did get to be uh, Manny Mota for uh, for a couple minutes. I got to pinch hit on the chat, which was pretty fun. But but that kind of leads into what we were going to talk about today here on the podcast. It's going to be a prospect oriented podcast today, and but we're going to branch it a little bit. Also, it's going to be a best tools podcast. If you said we're going to take a lot of questions, also. But if you said what's this most going to be about, we're we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the best tools. And if we're talking about best tools, I think the thing we have to start with is uh, the the history making part of the best tools. We've been doing best tool surveys at Baseball America now for coming up on 30 years. But on the major league side, I believe they go back to 1989. And in that time, we've never had a player younger than Mike Trout win a uh, a major league best tool award. Well, and and Trout in his case didn't just win one; he was all over the best tools. And I, I guess Jim, uh, safe to say that was not a, a big surprise to see Mike Trout appear uh, in a lot of different places on the best tools list. No, I mean, I mean, you look at the year he's having. I mean, and I, you know, I don't think him winning the Rookie of the Year award would, would was going to shock anybody. But I mean, right now, I think he's hands down the MVP. He's got what is it now, JJ? Is it 25 home runs? Uh, which is, I mean, he just continues. It seems to blow away uh, all explanations. So no, not really. I mean, I, I guess the question will be, you know, next year. I think Bryce Harper is more than a full year younger than Mike Trout. I think he's like 14 months. So next year, Bryce Harper might make a run at that uh, Mike Trout record. But you know, I remember doing the Midwest League best tools, you know, two years ago. It was just two years ago, 
And guys were comparing him to Mickey Mantle. And I remember hearing from fans, oh, come on, that's a little ridiculous. And and you're hearing big league guys do it now two years later. I mean, I, I think I probably am the biggest – not that we all don't love Mike Trout, but I, I've been kind of the one guy who's always voted for Trout ahead of Harper as a prospect. So I may be the biggest booster in the office. Even I didn't think Mike Trout was going to be the best player in, in Major League Baseball at age 20. No, it's it's uh, it's amazing because the best way to put it, I had a question in the chat about this and said, so do you have to say now that Trout ceiling's higher than Harper's? And I'd say, you know what, right now, you probably do just from the simple standpoint of this. Mike Trout has done something at the major league level already. There's no more projection with Mike Trout. If Mike Trout does what he did this year on a regular basis, he's one of the all-time greats in baseball. He doesn't have to do anything more. Yeah, definitely. If he just does this, if he does this for the next 15 years, you're going to be talking about him like Mays or Mantle. This this is – if you took this season and said put it in Mickey Mantle's career, it wouldn't look outlandish by any stretch. If you said put this in in Willie Mays' career and you just snuck it into – you know and added it instead of his 63 season or whatever, and you said look at that stat line, you're not going to say, well, that one must have been a bad year. He right now is already doing – again, if, if he gets better than this, I don't know if you can be better than what he's done this year. Can you? No, no you know, and that's, you know, that's the thing that kind of jumped out at me. I mean, to be honest, he might um, – you know, this might be his best year he ever has, um, except just from the standpoint of – just from the standpoint of – Percentages. I mean, because he spent the first season, month of the season in the minors, I guess his counting numbers could be higher. But, you know, I mean, how many seasons is he realistically going to have where he hits 350 with a 400 on base and a 600 slugging? Uh, um, but, yeah, if he's anywhere close to this, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about one of the all-time greats. No, again, he doesn't have to get any better. If he gets better, it's this is already, if you're saying historic season, this is a season we're going to remember. He didn't, you know, again, the the fact I saw a, a story make the point today, just kind of ask the question: Has he already won the MVP award? And it, you really you think about it, it's like you know what? There's a pretty good case that can be made that it's hard to imagine how someone could kind of take it away from at this point, barring an epic slump. And really, the big question kind of comes down to: Do the Angels make the playoffs? Because for a lot of people, that's important, but. I think even with that, it's hard to argue. If you, if even if that's very important to you as a voter, it's hard to argue. Well, but he ma- he made an impact in a pennant race because they were out of it before he arrived, and now they're in it. Oh, exactly. You know, and if they don't, if they miss the playoffs, they're going to ruin not, I guess, having him up earlier. But I mean, if you look at the American League for the MVP, and I agree with you, JJ. A lot of times, you know, the emphasis is put on who makes the playoffs. So, well, I mean, to me, the other two candidates right now would be Robinson Cano and Miguel Cabrera. But but there's no question if you stack their numbers up side by side, he's having a better year than both those guys. I mean, he's got more home runs than Cano and almost as many as Cabrera, despite spotting them both a month. And we all, all thought Mike Trout's power ceiling might be, I don't know, 25 homers uh, in the big leagues. And he's got 25. In, in he's got 20 right now. Okay, 20. I thought, yeah. Well, so, but, you know, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, I mean, we're going to have to revise his power ceiling. I, I, um, that was one. Th- <coughs> excuse me. That was one thing that I did think 
I had a I remember I had a chat earlier this year where someone said where I said that I thought that Tavares they were asking about Oscar Tavares. <laughs> you know, I apologize there, but and they asked they said, but you know, and I said something about how I thought that Trout had more power than Tavares and the person said there's just no way. You know, seriously more power than Tavares and it's like, Well yes. And I know that there was some talk with his swing and all that, but but the reality of this is Mike Trout is a massive, massive human. And we've seen that really kind of catch up already, and it's just, you know, this is him as 20. I mean, what he's doing right now, imagine what he's going to do when he's, I don't think he's going to be that much bigger, but now you've got to say 35 homers in a year doesn't seem unreasonable at all. Yeah, no, I mean, the thing is, I mean, like you said, JJ, he's six foot one, 200. He's not, you know, when you think of guys with 80 speed, he, he's not, you know, 5'9", 170. I mean, he if you see the guy, he is solidly built. Uh, the guy has always been able to put the bat on the ball and make consistent hard contact. And, uh, you know, they, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I always thought he was going to be a 25 home run guy, you know, with, you know, maybe win a batting champion and a gold glove and a stolen base title. And now maybe we have to revise it upward. But yeah, I do think, you know, not that anybody thought he was a weakling, but I think, you know, I mean, his arm is his weakest tool. That's no question. But coming into this year, his power was probably his next weakest tool. And I think as a result, because it was only his fourth best tool, maybe people underestimated it, but they're, they're not doing that now. No. Um, switching over to the minor league best tools, well, I wanted to point out, you. you I guess I'll ask you, I, I think you put together the Midwest League list, did you not? I did, I did. Okay, so the question we got a lot in the chat today, I'll ask you. So best hitting prospect in the Midwest League, explain to the listeners how we put the best tools list together because I think that's key when we talk about something like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to lead exactly in that same direction. When we do our prospect list, I think a lot of times people think like we're doing a minor league list or organization top 10 or top 30 that – you know, we're we're just getting that from the team or the managers, and that's not the case. We get input from a variety of sources, and even if, like, I'm doing the Red Sox top ten, and most teams don't do this anyway, but even if every guy I talk to within and without the organization say, hey, here's my top ten, it's not a ballot. I synthesize all the information. We all do. And then we put them in the order that we that we, we see fit with all the information we've collected. The, the best tools are not like that at all. The best tools, for the most part, are a pure ballot. I mean, sometimes we have to break ties. And when you, especially when you're doing the Midwest League, it's a 16-team league. Uh, a lot of the guy, a lot of the team, you play the team in the other division a lot of times once. So you don't see the other half of the league very often. Um, in some cases, when you play the team in the other half of the league, like, like in the Midwest League, for example, Javier Baez didn't play the first couple months, you know, first six weeks of the season in the Midwest League, so a lot of guys didn't see him. And so what happened is, is I probably I had 11 or 12 ballots from Midwest League, and it was all over the map. Where nobody, I think Kevin Pillar had three votes, and there were you know guys who had you know Bias had two, Snow had Snow had two, various guys had one or two votes. But you know Kevin Millar, as of today, would win the batting title, and I think a lot of times too. Derek Gould had an interesting blog post on, on the St. Louis Dispatch website today talking about the Major League thing. And he was talking about how Major League managers, when they vote on stuff, whether you look at our best tools thing or the gold gloves 
are a lot of times slaves to performance and who's doing what today and not necessarily gauging, you know, projecting guys down the road. And I think the same thing sometimes with these best tools list in the minors, JJ, is that when you're picking the best hitting prospect in a league, sometimes the managers look at, okay, who's leading the league? Oh, Kevin Pillar's leading the league. Hey, yeah, I like Kevin Pillar's swing. It's Kevin Pillar. I don't think there's any question. There is no question that if you gave – 30 teams their choice of 19-year-old Javier Baez or 23-year-old Kevin Pillar or 20-year-old Eddie Rosario, that they would take those guys over Pillar, but the managers went for Pillar, and it's this one's straight survey. It's not, you know, hey, let's get the votes and then kind of massage them. It, it, it's a straight survey, and Pillar won the vote. Right, and and the, the thing with that is, is that – now, one thing I found interesting is, is you had people saying, okay, how does Pillar win it ahead of – and as you said, Javier Baez was the guy thrown out, or Miguel Sano. Now, I like Miguel Sano as a prospect a lot. I would not say that if you're saying best hitting prospect, there's the best power prospect category too. But if you're talking about best hitting prospect, I don't think Miguel Sano right now is in that conversation in the Midwest League, is he? No, but you know what I think happens on that, to be honest? And maybe we need to explain it, You know, maybe change the title. Because yeah, I know in the handbook, prospect handbook, we call it best hitter for average. I think sometimes when people say best hitting prospect, you're thinking best offensive prospect. So if you were doing that, you could go Sano. But if you're talking pure hitter, yeah, it's not Sano. Sano has shown a lot of power. He's probably going to win the league home run title. He's already hit more homers uh, than his age. Um, but he's struck, you know, he, he's striking out a bunch. He's hitting about what 250. And, so he's not the best pure hitter in that league by any means. And even if you project out, it, that's that just that's going to be part of his game, but that's not going to be his game. Right. I mean, he's striking out every third at bat right now. I mean, you you can write some of that off that he's 19. The Midwest League, the tough hitters league. You know, he'll make some adjustments. But I would submit that you probably can't find too many guys, even if they were 19 when they were in low Class A, who are striking out in a third of their at-bats in a full-season league, who you would classify as tremendous pure hitters. Yeah, I'll put know, it this way. You compare that to Jerks and Profar. And right. Jerks and Profar. Or, or Mike Trout. When Mike Trout was in the league, I mean, Mike Trout struck out about every six at-bats. His strikeout rate was half of what Sano's was. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I, and so I agree with you. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get worked up about Sano not being best hitting prospect, but I do think some people – I, I wonder sometimes with the managers, and I know fans sometimes look at that, and I think they think best offensive prospect, and I think that's why Sano got the votes he did. The, the other thing with that is is that you, one of the other, I think these lists are very useful, and I enjoy putting them together, but but one other thing to remember is is that they're not all these categories aren't really created equal either. Um, Best defensive shortstop, that's one that I, I think when you see a guy pop up on that, that's that's usually a uh, a pretty strong sign that he's a, a pretty good defensive shortstop because pretty much every league has a good defensive shortstop. Best defensive first baseman, don't think that you're seeing a guy necessarily who's Key Fernandez just because he's winning best defensive first baseman because there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of guys who stand out defensively at first base. I think a lot of that, J.J., is like the Gold Glove Awards. That the, the, There's been cases, we've all seen it over the years, where a guy wins like best defensive third baseman, and you talk to the to scouts about the guy, and they're like, man, that guy needs a lot of work at third. But sometimes it's the guy who's having the best offensive year. You know, it would just, it's just like the Gold Glove Award. You know, I, best defensive first baseman, I think more often than not, it's, hey, this guy's hitting, and he's, he's pretty good around the bag, rather than, man, this guy's pretty slick over there. Right. And – 
And, and so that that's one of the things to, to remember also. And one other thing that you kind of touched on, that, like you saw with Javier Baez, we saw with Dylan Bundy because he kind of bounced between leagues. When you talk about especially an in-season list like this, and you have a guy who came up to a league, a lot of times what may happen is is that there just may not be enough guys who saw him. So right. if you see a guy and you go, well, why is this guy who I, I like not the best pitching prospect in this league or, or whatever, it that may be it. And the other thing to remember is, is that not all leagues are created equal either. Like I did the Florida State list. Uh, league list, and and if you're taking about the best pitching prospect in the Florida State League, well, there was some pretty hefty competition because Jameson Tyone, Garrett Cole, Jose Fernandez, there were a lot of really good pitching. Carlos Martinez, there were a lot of good pitching prospects who were in that league this year. I've done leagues in other years. I did the Carolina League list last year. the uh, The battle for best pitching prospect in that league not nearly as steep as that, and you. You have to look at those things as well because those do definitely factor into this. Oh, definitely. You know, it's, it's like the, you can see some of that when we do the the minor league, you know, prospect list at the end of the season too. That uh, you know, if when I'm doing the Midwest League, I'm always most cases I'm sitting there going, man, I don't have enough room for everybody because I got 16 teams in my league. And then you do the Carolina League, which has what? Is it eight teams, eight. JJ? Eight, and it's like. You know, we're putting guys. I mean, you know, we talk about this every year. You put guys on the Carolina League list who, you know, make the top 20, who might not be in the top 40 in the Midwest League, but you know, it's the depth of the league. And you're right; it, it does reflect that on these also. I mean, I had kind of an interesting, you know, battle in the Midwest League. You know, Archie Bradley was best. Archie Bradley was best fastball and best breaking ball, but best pitching prospect went to Aaron Sanchez, and those two guys were, were neck and neck. Um, you know, I had one. And another thing that comes into play too is, like I was saying, who you see. I talked to Nelson Prada, who's the manager at Beloit, and there's a pitcher in that league. He's not a big time prospect, but he's having a good year. Named Drew Granier, who's a 23 year old on Burlington, who was a 32nd round pick out of Louisiana Louisiana Monroe in last year's draft. And he's kind of a finesse guy with, you know, fringe average fastball and you know, good changeup, can locate a breaking ball, which you know can really take you far in, in low class A. But Drew Granier had shut out Beloit four times and beat him a fifth. So Nelson Prada, <laughs> I mean, based on what he saw, he thought Drew Granier was the best pitching prospect because, I mean, the guys just destroyed his team five times this year. So a lot of it comes down to, you know, if, if you're trying to decide, like, in your Florida State League between Cole or Tyone or Fernandez, you know, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you run into – you know, Jose Fernandez, and maybe you score four runs off him, he has an off day. Well, he doesn't jump out as you as much if, if that's the only time you saw him. So a right. lot of it is not only who you saw, but how good they were on that day, especially with the pitchers. Right. Uh, the funny thing is is that we did easy calls and tough calls. There was another easy call in the Florida State League list that I, I picked out the one that's kind of a, a bigger name story, but Mike O'Neill won the uh, best uh, strike zone judgment in the league, and that was easy. That was pretty close to unanimous because – it was uh, that was one where everyone in the league was like, "Oh man, that guy's just been insane." As far as you you know, he he knows the strike zone and all. It, it's funny how you you kind of guys guys pop up when you're doing this um, that you may not have noticed before that much. But moving on now, we did want to kind of take some of your questions. We uh, on Twitter, I'm I'm at jjcoop36, Jim's at Jim Callis BA, and so we got uh, a slew of questions to go through here. So we'll send you the first one here, Jim. This is about from Zach Mort, at Zach Mort, says, Saul Garrett Cole and Dylan Mundy. Am I way off thinking Cole could be better? 
No, I don't think you're way off. I mean, one, I mean, Cole got drafted ahead of him last year, and I think if you're grading out pure stuff, Cole's stuff, you know, I think Cole probably – I mean, granted, he's older. He's three years older, but Cole throws harder, and he might have a little bit more devastating breaking ball. So I don't think that's unreasonable at all. Right. I think if you're – I would take Bundy first myself, but if you are if you want to argue Cole, it's, he, he's bigger too. I mean, there, there's a lot of things to like about Garrett Cole. Um, the the big thing for Bundy is, is that – and age is a little bit overrated when you talk about pitchers because the reality is, is that – there are guys who are, if you look at 19, hitters usually get better and better and better. But pitchers, you may have it where Dwight Gooden at 19 was as good as Dwight Gooden got. And that was really, really good. Kerry Wood was as good when he hit the big leagues as he'd ever be. That So there's a little less to be excited about the fact that Dylan Bundy's significantly younger than Garrett Cole. But there is something about that. And and the fact is, is that Dylan Bundy at this point has had a, a – for his age, uh, even a little bit better track record success. But again, I'd rather have, I'd, I'd like to have either one of them. Uh, next question we have here, speaking of Javier Baez that you brought up earlier, from uh, at Mikey Low 34 asked, do you think Javier Baez will be able to stick at shortstop or will we end up at third base? You know, I, th- this has been interesting about Javier Baez. I mean, I don't think him hitting has surprised everybody because we all knew Javier Baez can hit. But the reviews on him at shortstop – have been very good um, to the point where I'm not saying he's definitely going to be a big league shortstop, but whereas I thought, you know, almost everybody I talked to last year thought, okay, this guy's probably going to want to be in the third baseman. And he, I mean, he's six, he's like six one two oh five, so he doesn't have that classic shortstop body, but he's been pretty good at shortstop. And I think he's going to at least stay at shortstop for a while. So I wouldn't say he's a slam dunk to stay there. But whereas last year, I, I really didn't look at him as a shortstop. I mean, I just thought third base initially. I think he's got a, he, he's got a much better chance to play shortstop there than I think a lot of us realize. And that's it's going to be interesting to watch as he kind of goes up the ladder because he's a good pro, he's a really good prospect either way. But if he can stick his short, then that puts him <laughs> that, that's a lot more production than you normally expect out of a shortstop. As, yeah, I mean, he's definitely going to hit. I mean. The guy he gets compared to all the time, J.J., is Gary Sheffield because he's from Florida and he's got this ridiculous bat speed. And, you know, Sheffield came up with the shortstop and they eventually moved him to third. Uh, you know, I, I still think, you know, it's funny. You, you, you've you got him. You've got, you know, Starling Castro is obviously a shortstop right now in Chicago. I still think the best shortstop Chicago has in their system, not from an offensive standpoint, but from a defensive standpoint, would be Darwin Barney. I really think they've got him and, and Castro flip-flopped when they should flip him back the other one. Okay, moving on to the uh, the the next question we have here. This is uh, from at Jay Dondlinger uh, asks, "Can you explain Michael Fierce? Which I, I'll kind of preempt you and, and put myself in here and say no. Uh, what about you, Jim? No, I mean, you know, I mean, he obviously had a breakout la- year last year, and, and considering what he's doing now, and it's in the big leagues, it's more impressive. But I mean, you're talking about a guy who's probably got an average fastball. I, I don't know if he has a plus pitch. I mean, maybe his changeup at his best is a plus pitch, but, you know, there are some guys – I guess I have two thoughts on him. One, I mean, there are some guys whose ability to locate their pitches makes their stuff play up, and I do think that's the case with Michael Sears. Um, the, the second part of that is a lot of times you see guys like that have a ton of success when they first come to the big leagues like he has, 
and then hitters figure him out. And we'll see. You know, he he's only pitched 82 innings in the big leagues. He's been spectacular. I still, you know, I mean, one, we know his ERA is going to go up. He's not going to maintain a 176 ERA for his career. But I'm still not. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, I, I still think he's. If I have to bet, JJ, is he a frontline starter? Is he a one or a two or a four or five in the long run? I'm still betting four or five. But hats off to him for what he's been able to accomplish so far. I, I, I'm with you on that, and I hate to say it, but yeah, I, I, I'm. I think I'm rightfully accused of being a guy who who gets a little velocity uh, focused at times. But I, I think there's a reason for that. And and Fears has solid velocity. It's not something where you'd say. You know, he's just doing it with mirrors or, or anything like that. But but I do wonder long-term if this is just a, a really great start to a career and, you know, that whether that is going to carry over long-term or not. I, there's a couple of guys I think of like, you know, they're not – I'm not even really – it's not a comp to Mike Fears, but, but Kirk Reeder and the start he had I, in I his career. I was going to say the exact – same thing, JJ. That was the exact same guy I was thinking of. His strikeout rate wasn't the same. And, you know, he had a nice long career. He won 130 games in the big leagues. But that, that's exactly who I was thinking of as a guy who came out of nowhere. I actually won a fantasy league back when I played fantasy baseball because I picked up Kirk Reeder and he was like, well, put me over the top. But but that's exactly who I was thinking of. You know, although his strikeout rate was nowhere near what what, Mike, what Michael Fears has been. Uh, another one. Um, I'm trying to think. The Giants had a couple of kind of uh, guys come up about oh, eight nine years ago, who had really good starts of their career, and then you know they kind of tailed off pretty quickly. And I, I think Fears is going to be around. I think one of the great things for him is is you you have a start like this, and and you've pretty much guaranteed you're not going down the first time you struggle because you've built up a, a rightfully earned uh, a, the right to kind of figure things out if you do hit a rough spot. But I still do struggle a little bit to think that he's going to kind of keep this going uh, over the long term. But, hey, I've been wrong before. I may be wrong again. Um, another question here we've got, this is from at the Duke 68 who throws out the question of odds Billy Hamilton wins two uh, league stolen base crowns this year. I'm going to say about well, 95%. You're, you're the Billy Hamilton expert, and I know he's he's way up the, the AA Southern League list for how, how long he's played, he's but you should take right that one. And how, but how many is he behind the leader? Uh, 11. <laughs> so he has a shot. <laughs> oh, it, it's not just a shot. He's going to win two leagues. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember anyone doing that in a significant category. Uh, I, I'm... It's almost impossible, really. It really is because, for one, you can't do it in – it's almost impossible to do in ERA, batting average, slugging percentage, something like that because it's almost impossible to qualify in two leagues. I, I guess if you were a leadoff hitter who was promoted at just the right time, maybe you'd have a chance, but it's hard to believe you you could even do that. So you're talking about – Well, you know, I'm – JJ, he's he's actually 16 behind Josh Prince. Okay, sorry. Do you think he can catch him with 16? Oh yeah. Because the reality is is that you look at it. Josh Prince has 40, I believe. Is that right? Right. So, so he's probably going to wind up around 50. He's going to run up around 50. You're somewhere around there. Hamilton's averaging. Hamilton, I think, has 25 games left to go in the season. He's averaged over a steal a game. He's going to have the incentive of trying to make the the record once he reaches it as high as he can, uh, I think I think he ends up winning that. I think Hamilton probably ends up somewhere around, 
my guess is about 50. He just barely edged it. I'll give him another incentive to, for that, too. Uh, if he That's going to be pretty cool because that will give him something to chase after he, he, he passes Vince Coleman and Donnell Nixon because that one probably comes down to the wire. That really does. That probably does come pretty close to the wire there. The, the one thing that, again, we, I think I talked about this on the podcast one time with John, but the thing that could get interesting with that is is that I know the Reds haven't come out and said that they're even considering it, but and to me, you have to think the Reds are going to be in the playoffs at this point. It seems almost unlikely they're not going to be. To me, if you're them, you bring him up in September, and you use September to make the decision, is this a guy who can help us on the 25-man roster in October? Now, before anyone sends an email saying, but you have to be on the roster on September 1st you know, to be eligible for the playoffs, we, we've seen that that's no longer the case. All you have to do is have someone injured. So uh, to me, with Hamilton, I, I, to me – Hamilton should be on their uh, big league playoff roster because he can do something for you that can change a game, that can win a game in the playoffs. And I'm with you 100%, JJ. I would put him on the playoff roster, no doubt, even if it's just as a pinch runner. And I'll give you a recent example. In 2008, when the Rays went to the World Series, they lost the first game of the ALCS to the Red Sox. And the second game was a guy, I think Beckett had something wrong with him. It was a slugfest, and it went to extra innings, and a winning run was scored by Fernando Perez on a sack fly um, where, yeah, I mean, it wasn't just a routine sack fly. I mean, where you needed a speedy guy who was able to get in under the tag, and, you know, they won that game. Even the series wound up taking a 3-1 lead and winning it in seven and going on to the World Series. You never know. You know, and that was, you know, Fernando Perez – you know, was used as a pinch runner throughout the playoffs, and he scored a, a very crucial run in that series. So, uh, and I, 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 with Billy Hamilton's speed, you know, you look you look at Dave Roberts in the 2004 ALCS. I don't even know if Dave Roberts had an at bat in that postseason for the Red Sox. And it didn't matter. Um, yeah, and so I mean, that's you know, and, and as fast as those two guys were, you know, <laughs> they, they didn't have Billy Hamilton's that- speed. So you may you may need Billy Hamilton. I, I would I would definitely have him on a twenty five man roster for the postseason. Especially the thing about it is, is also if you did get into somehow a fourteen inning game or something like that, he can play second, he can play short. If you had to, you could put him in the outfield. Now, I know he hadn't played it, but you had if you had to, he could. So that you you probably would not ever he probably would not get in a bat in a series, but. He could not have a bat in a series and still make a significant impact. The thing that I do think people need to understand is, is that Billy Hamilton right now at this moment, and I know that people, some people may scoff at this because he's in the minors, but right now he's better. He's a better base dealer than anyone in the big leagues. Yeah, he may not be as proficient, I, I, but he, but I think there's no question he's the fastest player. I mean. You know, again, I had both Mike Trout and Billy Hamilton come through the Midwest League the previous two years. So I did all kinds of prospect stuff with those guys. And, and, and you know, D. Gordon, too. And Mike Trout and D. Gordon, not even close to Billy Hamilton. You know, we joke about this all the time, you know, about how, you know, 20 to 80 scale doesn't do Billy Hamilton justice. And it doesn't because Mike Trout's an 80 runner. Michael Bourne's an 80 runner. You know, and Billy Hamilton, you know, could have a higher base stealing but Billy Hamilton legitimately is like a 90, 95, 100 runner on the 20 to 80 scale. It just 
you, I know you've, you're, you're working on a big blowout story that I can't wait to read that's going to be out soon, JJ. And I did all kinds of Billy Hamilton stuff last year in the Midwest League. You talk to anybody about that guy, and they have story after story about how fast that guy is. And I, I just remember talking to Midwest League managers about him last year. And then after the first part of the year, they didn't bother to pitch out or do these exaggerated slide steps against him because it didn't help. He was still stealing bases. All they were doing was falling behind the count or taking five miles an hour off a fastball because they were throwing with, like, this real exaggerated slide step. They were pitching, you know, they, they, they'd throw over. It didn't matter. You'd pick him off. He'd still steal the base. And then a lot, most of the Midwest League managers last year, and I, granted, I know the majors are the difference in the Midwest. I'm not saying it's going to be the same stream. But guys, you said, we can't even catch him stealing this level, so there's no point in even trying. You know, if we throw well, him out, we throw him out, but we're not going to go out of our way because we're just wasting our time. Well, along those lines, Billy Hamilton could make an impact – in a playoff game without ever stealing a base. Because if he comes in to pinch run from first base, all of a sudden, as you said, the guy on the mound is going to be slide-stepping. Because if Billy Hamilton's coming in, the run's going to matter. It's, it's an important run. You're going to try to keep him at first. He's going to be slide-stepping. You might call a pitch out. All of a sudden, the next batter is it could be put in an in a advantageous position. And again, with that, if you hit – if he's on first base and you hit a ball in the gap, he's scoring. Well, you might also have a guy rushing a throw. You know, if you know, not that he's necessarily hitting, but you might. You know, Billy Hamilton's on second. You know, and there's a ball hitting the hole short. Maybe the guy rushes the throw because he knows he's. You know, they got to try to get the batter out. But if he doesn't get the ball over there quickly, you know, he let's say he makes a throw but doesn't put a lot on it. Billy Hamilton might round third and come home. I mean, the the, 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 the guy is just. I, I can't. JJ in all my years of baseball, America. And again, I mean, I love Mike Trout as much as the next guy. Guys raved about his speed in the Midwest League, and we've seen it in the, in the, we've seen it in the big leagues too. But I mean, I've never heard any runner ever talked about like this. I he, mean, it, 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 it's unprecedented. Here's a way to explain it: Billy Hamilton right now is in the top ten among active minor leaguers in stolen bases. Billy Hamilton has only played. This is his second full season. He's not finished yeah. his second full season, and he's already uh, – the other guys on that list are usually guys who played 15, 10, 15 years in the minors. He has 293 <laughs> steals. <laughs> that's, that's top 10 among active minor leaguers. That's just you – know, that's, that's hard to believe. It's hard to explain. But that's Billy Hamilton. That's, it's, it, it, I had I, – that was another. We had a chat question today, and the thing about it is, is that – the best way I can put it is, is that not okay. His hitting improvement this year is significant, and that's for his long-term career probably maybe more important than the fact he's making a run at the stolen base record. But the reality of it is, is that what stands out about Billy Hamilton is, is right now we are watching. There have been very few players in professional baseball history who could come close to doing what he's doing right now, and he may again. We'll see what he does as a big leaguer. But it would shock me if he ends up not being one of the ten best base dealers of all time. Well, I agree. Unless he had some kind of horrific, you know, injury that cost him speed, uh, I think there's no question. Uh, the best way to put that is is that the guy who he's making the run at the record for is Vince Coleman, who had 145 in 1983. And let me just make something clear: Vince Coleman's 1983 season, as far as stealing bases, still blows Billy Hamilton's away. Because the most amazing thing about that is, is Vince Coleman stole 145 bases that year. He missed 32 games. Was, I didn't even realize that. He was on pace. If you took that away and at the same pace he was on, he'd have stolen 185 bases. 
So what, what happened? Did you, what kind, I didn't even. I, I never knew his, that. Jay. This is being the, the package I'm working on, the story I'm working on. But he broke his thumb sliding into third. Hey, one thing I'm finding is is everything I find out about that season, I have to kind of verify because it's now almost 30 years old. So you see it, you know, when you talk to people about it, sometimes the the stories get a little cloudy or a little messed up. But he he broke his thumb that year, and so he missed June. And when he came back from that, he was obviously significantly behind Donnell Nixon in the stolen base race. And once he came back, it was just two, three steals a game for a lot of stretch. It was it was amazing. And I'll be curious to see, JJ. When do you think we'll see once Billy Hamilton? Like at this rate, I don't think Billy Hamilton spends a full season in the minors next year. You know, with, with the development he's made, you know, he made a, he's made great development this year at the plate. He even did last year from the first half to the second half. He was so much improved in the second half. So he he might not steal 100 bases next year in the minors because he may not be in the minors long enough to do it. You know, Before he did it last year, it had been 10 years. A guy named Chris Morris, who nobody remembers, stole 111 in the Midwest League in 2001. But we don't see the guys stealing as much as they did. I mean, there's more of it now that the steroid era is over, but it's still not where it was, say, in the 80s when guys were, were just running like crazy. When do you think we're going to see another 100 stolen base guy after Billy Hamilton in the minors? I think it'll be pretty soon. I think because of how the game has changed again and how it's changing, because uh, here's the crazy thing. It's not outside the realm of possibility. We may see two guys steal 100 this year because Delino DeShields Jr., he's sitting at 81 right now. Right. So – I think that we are back in an age where steals are becoming a bigger part of the game. Rico Noel has 76 right now. Rico Noel, I was talking to him at the uh, the uh, and by the way, the interesting thing is is that there's a slight chance that Billy Hamilton could end up with no league stolen base titles this year if Rico Noel went on a tear. <laughs> He's still in the Cal League, so he could catch Billy. He's not probably going to, but there's at least an outside chance he could. But talking to Rico Noel at the California-Carolina League All-Star game, he said, I keep telling Billy, just slow down. Let's make it a little more interesting. But poor Rico's been – he was in the Midwest League last year. He's in the Cal League this year. He's stolen 126 bases in the last two years, and he's not come close to leading a league in uh, in steals yet. A lot of leagues he'd be running away with the title – He's happened to be in Billy Hamilton's league every year, which uh, is, <laughs> is not real conducive to leading the league in steals. But so we're seeing there are more elite-based or top-notch-based stealers out there now than we saw for a, a pretty good stretch there for a while. Yeah, and it just again, it goes to show what Billy Hamilton's doing. I knew Delano DeShields was having a good year, but like the 81 stolen bases had not registered on my radar because when I think stolen bases, I think of Billy Hamilton, and he's got 120, and I hadn't even realized that – you had a guy who was, you know, I guess he's not close to him, but was that close to 100? No, it, it's pretty amazing. It's a very good year for stolen bases, although it, this will always be remembered as the year of the Billy Hamilton stolen bases. Not, <laughs> let's be honest, no one else is going to be remembered as far as that. I mean, this is not like 1983 when Donnell Nixon and Vince Coleman were having a, a cross-country race for the record. But, uh, right. But, yeah, that story, uh, I'm kind of putting the finishing touches on it now. I haven't talked to Vince Coleman yet for a part of that, but I'm hoping to. Um, but but that story should be up on the site hopefully next week. <laughs> we got to get it up quick because Hamilton keeps getting closer and closer to the record, and we want it up before the record, uh, before he sets the hey, record. You, you run out of time if he keeps stealing two or three bases a game. Exactly. So. But 
Well, thank you again for everyone for the download here of the Baseball America podcast. Uh, we we appreciate it every week. If you if you download us on iTunes, uh, do also we remind you that you can you put a review up of us. You know, if you like us, if you don't like us, especially if you like us, uh, you can you know click the stars or uh, or write a comment on there. And we do want to you know remind you this is always it's always a great time to subscribe to Baseball America, but this is a specially good time. We have. We're starting. We're not that far away from the league top 20s, which will be going up uh, in the magazine and on the website next month. Crazy enough to to think. Kind of, I almost shudder thinking about it. We're not that far away from from team top tens going on in the magazine. So, if you uh, if you love prospects, it's we're coming up on prospect season here at Baseball America. We'll also have minor league player of the year coming up. We'll have major league player of the year and and a whole lot more stuff coming up over the next uh, couple of months. So. Thanks for the download. We'll be back again next week. And thank you, Jim, for, for powering through uh, even with an injury. Yeah, it's, uh, I think I'll live with this. I think I'll be okay. But uh, four, four stitches in my left middle finger, but uh, I can still write and still type, so I can still work, apparently. And that's Jim Callis. I'm J.J. Cooper. We'll see you again next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co.